Well, we've just seen the Nasdaq close up for a ninth straight day, something we haven't seen since December 2020. Momentum favours the brave, they say, but it's pretty clear to me that the market is saying if we're going to chase anything into year end, it's going to be the magnificent seven and this mega caps tech situation playing through. We have a look at the crude trade, but we're seeing the price down 20% since those September highs as the $100 calls seems to be slipping away from the market at the moment. We go into FX markets where the dollar's finding a little bit of form and we preview Next week's CPI print, which of course the bond balls are going to be looking at very closely indeed. It's time to get in front of the screens. This is the trade-off. Well, hi there, I'm Chris Weston from Pepperstone. I'm going to be joined in two seconds by Blake Moreau from Forex Analytics. And we're going to be going through the setups that are front of mind at the moment, the key themes that are rocking these financial markets. Mr. Blake Moreau, I'm going to bring you straight in. What I was uh, talking about with my wife and I bored the absolute bejesus out of her uh, a couple of days ago was, was this idea that we're now one year away from the US election, something which I'm sure is going to be absolutely deafening around the world, but specifically for obviously for you guys out in the, in the US. Um, really interesting. Obviously, we're becoming expert. I'm trying to become an expert in you know, how this all goes down, the different timelines and, and the different risks that could be coming through um, that are playing through at the moment. How excited are you about getting this situation? When did the markets start thinking about this becomes a bit more of a volatility event? Good question. Well, you know, considering we just got passed a lot of uh, elections, regional elections last night. Um, I think soon. I, I think when you start seeing these debates, uh, the the primary debates. Now, interesting thing is, uh, as as uh, President Trump is not going to be debating, so I I, I don't know how this is all going to work, Chris. I, all I know is, you know, he's he's being indicted for a bunch of charges, and Biden doesn't know where he is, where Monday is, and I, I don't know, Chris. I I, I can tell I can I tell you this much. I'm not super excited about it, as I was explaining to you. Um, you know, I spent four years uh, trying to manage my own book and and other people's money because I was trading for a fund at that point. You know, and 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 through you know Trump tweets, and and I have a feeling I'm going to be dealing with Trump tweets again, and uh, and it's tough because you can't really relax when things are happening like that because yeah. it, he moves the markets. He does. He's so talking it's either about a good thing a, or a bad thing. You know, he's talking about putting a 10 percent tariff on on imports, which I think you know, brings in this protectionism, brings in trade wars back again. Uh, I think personally, you know, a year's a long, long time for markets and politics. I think you know you got to wait for the national, uh, the the Republican, Republican and Democrat conventions which come through in July and August before this becomes a market event. Until that such time, yeah, we're watching the primaries. But I thought I'd just bring it up because we are on that countdown to uh, one of the big debates for, for, for next year indeed. But uh, yeah, let's go towards things that are more close. Thank closer. you. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I just had to Thanks. do it. I know, I know, I know. But uh, we'll be talking more about it. Anyway, I think let's, let's bring some of the things that are more close to home. So let's have a look at some of the topics on uh, Topical Funder. Yeah, um, Nasdaq 100. Um, you know what I'm seeing at the moment, Blake, is is this chase. Well, is it a chase? It feels like it's a bit of a chase going on. The magnificent seven. You know, um, your Apples, your Amazons, your, your Nvidia's, those stocks, which yeah did so well for such a long portion of the time, and there was sort of a bit of heat came out into earnings season. But now they've started to find their mojo again, um, and we've just seen the Nasdaq up. Yeah, for nine consecutive days in a row, as I say, with something we haven't seen since December 2020. I know 
a lot of retail traders will be sitting there going, oh, you know, something up nine days in a row, we've got to go and short that. But yeah, the I, I did a cheeky back test on on you know on the on the performance of the Nasdaq. Uh, you know, every time we see nine days in a row. Um, which I think is about 17 different occurrences that we've seen since 2010. Um, if you actually look at the, the performance of the market 20 days later after that point, you know, we're up about 70% of the time um, with an average gain of about 2.7%. So, yeah, momentum is, is clearly favouring the brave. I wouldn't be shorting just because we've seen that sort of run of form. But the market's saying to me, Blake, that if we're going to chase anything into, into year end, we want to do what's worked. And we want momentum, and we want these these high cash flowing businesses. So I think if you're going to chase anything, that that that's what the market is showing you right now. And pullbacks are buying opportunities. How are you seeing it? Well, first of all, I think the Nasdaq 100 is in a breakout. We broke the channel resistance. Technically, um, this is indicative, or uh, I'm sorry, I should say it. It's late in the day for me, so you guys always have to excuse me for saying. Sometimes I say some weird words that don't really make sense. Um, but it, the the rally that we've seen in the Nasdaq is characteristic of what you would see in a bear market rally. It's very, very, very fast, quick, short squeeze, and you know, and it makes sense right now. And I and I say that because we we have a a big risk event that we just I don't I want to say we got over. The market is mentally getting over. Um, the the what's happening in Israel. We could argue and we could debate whether it's going to be a bigger deal in the months ahead. But for right now, the market's kind of brushed that off. Like we talked about last week, it's kind of refocusing on what, you know, earnings and everything else. So you got people that are positioned poorly. You know, you got a lot of people de-risks, de-risked, uh, you know, in the market. They're Now they're caught not owning enough going into seasonally as you've been pointing out the last couple of weeks, a very seasonal strong time to be in the markets nasdaq's up 11 months of november in a row right (laughs) for whatever reason you're right and you pointed that out last week so i know the natural tendency for traders is to fade and to and to stand in front of it and say you know you know nine days in a row i mean what's this what's what's the odds of it being up 10 or 11 or 12 but look it's been a pretty powerful move and short squeezes in bear markets which i think this is even though it looks better in the NASDAQ than it does in the S&P or other indices, it's still squeezable and, and, and it could last. And you have to think about what's favoring the market right now. If yields continue to come down, that's going to take a lot of pressure off the market. So uh, I don't know, Chris. I, How do you feel I though? I mean, some- you know, when you're adapting your strategy, I mean, you, if you, you, you can trade mean reversion, momentum, trend, whatever you're doing, but right now, you know, with me, with the NASDAQ, I'm saying buy what's strong, sell what's weak, keep it simple. It's working, right? I think that's that's the way to navigate it, Chris. So, and, But let's talk about, let's continue this conversation about the markets and let's move into the next, uh, next topic. And I, I actually wanted to bring this up because this is, you know, after a, such, such a big rally, this week feels like to me, like especially in currencies, the market's kind of catching its breath and, and just kind of, you know, just getting reallocated. But um, I believe this next week is going to be a very big week in the market. We've got US CPI coming up. We got China, what uh, industrial production, retail sales. We got UK CPI. I got it all written down over here. Aussie employment. And and uh, we actually have the US government, potentially another US government shutdown, which I think the market's going to be kind of numb to it. I, I, every, I think everybody understands we're going to get through it. We might not see 
the jobs report on time, but but it's not like it's critically unless it goes on for an extended period of time, then the market will become a little bit concerned. But the 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 date of the I believe it's the seventeenth, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we may shut down. B- big deal. But I think that the the data points that we're seeing going into next week are going to be kind of big. But this week's a bit of a snoozer, and and I think. As long as nothing jumps out of us, I don't, I don't think any of the, the, we're getting a lot of Fed speak. I don't want to say just Fed, but we're getting a lot of central banks, central bankers speaking. They're not saying anything that's going to, is really jumping out. And as long as that doesn't happen, I think volatility stays low. The market grinds higher. How are you seeing the market right now this week going into next week? Yeah, I think it's interesting. The shutdown um, could be interesting from a point that we don't get, you know, if it goes on for a while, we're not going to get the, the payrolls number. And I think that's really interesting now, the payrolls number, given what we saw in, in last month. If we saw a forehandle on the unemployment rate, you know, the recession heads would be, oh, that's the SOM recession indicator coming through because it's raised 50 basis points off the lows. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a natural handbrake. Uh, we talked about it a while back. There's a natural handbrake on how long the, the shutdown goes on for because if, if active servicemen and women in the US are not paid... That's un- very politically unacceptable. But to have missed two payments, you know, there's going to be absolute outrage from the public. So you've got a natural handbrake on how long it goes on for. So I'm not expecting that to be a volatility. And in fact, I think the markets are probably saying we're going to get to that cliff edge and there'll probably be a deal at some stage. And given everything that's going on with you know, aid to Israel and, and you know, you know, Gaza and, and, and also in, in Ukraine, you know, one suspects that they're going to get a deal done pretty quickly. Um yeah, I look. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, yeah, I think the Chinese data is going to be interesting there. The CPI number is the big one there. Um, but what's important is if you look at rates pricing now, the market's pretty numb to what they're seeing. We've got nothing being priced in for the December meeting. There's very little being priced in there. We've got four basis points of hikes being priced in for the January meeting. So rate hikes are, are not on the table any means at all. You'd need to see a massive CPI print to, to see that coming back on. And in fact, you know, the market's got in <clears throat> this strong belief that yeah, next year we're going to see some juicy rate cuts coming from yeah, the ECB, 80 basis points of cuts being priced in, 68 basis points of cuts from the Kiwis. Um, and also from the Canadian Central Bank there. Um, in the US, we've got about nearly three rate cuts being priced in for next year. So that's the interesting thing is is that I think you're going to need to see something pretty punchy from the data flow to, to bring hikes back on the table in the market's eyes. In fact, we're looking ahead to next year and we're saying there's going to be some chunky cuts. So if I, if I can mention this before we move on really quick, I, I want to tip my hat to a my colleague, uh, Ryan Littlestone um, over at the, the UK trade off. Also, Michael Brown as well. They had a great conversation on the rate, the rates conversation and rate cuts. If you haven't seen that episode, go back and see it. It was filmed, what, a couple of days ago. It's it's a really great episode. Well, jo- well, well, job. Well, well. Good job. Well done, gents. Can't even get it out late in the day. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's good, mate. I just want to go on that, that, um, the bond situation, because I think, you know, the the, the pressure valve has been taken off the market. You know, the the long end of the curve, I mean, certainly 30 years have seen really, really strong buying. As you'd imagine, if you're a bond trader, you know that's going to happen because of the convexity that that you get from from long-term bonds. But 10 years, the one that gets probably the lion's share of the attention. And we saw that trading from above 5% down to where we are at the moment, you know, 4 50 and also real rates if you adjust it for expected inflation have come off and maybe that's part of the reason why people are going back into tech in a big way you know and that's been the outperformance but it has given some some life last week we had the 
yeah, the best get week in, in the S&P all year. And yeah, the Nasdaq was up over 6%, something you don't see in, in a regular basis. But I think part of that's down to the fact that we saw that Treasury refunding where the, the you know, TBAC came out and said, you know, skew your um, issuance towards the front end of the curve and, and less sort of duration sensitive areas of the market and, and, and term premium sensitive market. And I think that's been really, really very powerful force for um, for the for the bond market, but yeah, next week we've got CPI. As I say, you know we're expecting um, the market's expecting headline inflation to come down to three point three percent, core to stay at four point one percent. Again, that's something that the market is looking at. So yeah, how much lower uh, can yields go, and, and and what does that mean for the likes of the dollar and the Nasdaq, like? Well, um, well, first of all, let, let's just talk a little bit about this bond market move, and I, I just want to say technically. We have finally broken out of a channel that is like uh, contained the 10 year note literally since I have to go back and look since April, May, right? So for the last six months, we've been following this channel. If the, if the 10 year note trades a 109 handle on the actual notes, uh, we could see a little squeeze higher towards the 200 DMA. That means that we would have further falling in yields and the dollar will probably be under pressure, which will be. It's going to lend uh, lend some support to the Nasdaq and 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 the stock market and risk in general. And so it, it's interesting because there's so much supply coming, and we all know there is. But this little tweak that the Treasury did last week of you know issuing more bills and and less you know bonds and notes. It, I mean, you think about like the the FOMO, like the 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 FOMO trade, and people go, oh crap, you know what. Longer term yields are going to start to go down. They're going to start to go down again. I'd better capture them right now at these levels while I can. And and you're getting that that FOMO move where bonds could actually squeeze a little higher here. And not because we're not going to get more supply, not because, you know, anything else other than traders want to capture that, you know, that 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 yield while they can. And you're going to you might see a little bit more chasing, which ironically is going to support equities. And I, one other thing I wanted to mention, Chris, and, and we could go on and on and on about this, but I have to mention that bonds rally when they're rallying for this reason. It's not a bad thing. When you see bonds rally on risk aversion, that's when you have to start going, OK, you know, how's it going to affect gold? How's it going to affect stocks? How's it going to affect the dollar? But right now, gold is moving on, you know, uh, more supply and demand. And well, I think yeah, yeah, I take a counter argument to that. I, I think you're right. I think 70% of the move is. But look, last week we saw you know, payrolls coming in at 150. That was a, that's a clear slowdown in, the, in, in terms of the, the four-week moving averages come down, or three-month moving averages come down to 204. The average hourly earnings is coming down. We saw a poor consumer confidence number last week. ISM manufacturing and services were, were, were okay, but weak. Well, the services number was okay, but was weaker. So I think the data has cooled. It's certainly not collapsed, but I think your point is is a very valid one, and that is that you know if, if bonds were really rallying because people were pricing in a greater chance of recession, which they're not, I don't think, um, then then that would be bad for the equity market. But you're right on the supply side of things that, that that's that's the case. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a, yeah we've got to remember there's a lot of um, algorithmic tracing and and yeah sort of non-humanic. <laughs> <laughs> people chasing this market as well so big one there but uh, yeah we'll see and one of my and i know we need to move along and one, one of my colleagues mentioned there's there's a lot of money on the sideline that's looking to park it in some of these longer term notes and bonds too which which makes a lot of sense i mean if you think about what it's yielding and you're like do i take on the risk of equities at this point anyway 
long conversation. We could go way more than three minutes, but we got to move along. And I got to say, well done, Westy. You, you, you talked about the Aussie last week and you called it. You said, I don't, I know what other people are saying, but Michelle Bullock, she's going to raise rates. And, you know, I know there's what 60, 63% chance of her, of, of the RBA raising rates. And they did. And you said the Aussie's going to 90 cents and it went straight down. I'm just kidding. You didn't say that, but, <laughs> but the Aussie did go down, um, which, which, you know, a lot of traders are like, wow, you know, they raised rates, but it was more of a one and done or basically the RBA is going to do what the, you know, Fed's doing, raise rates. We're going to keep rates unchanged for a while. And the Aussie sank, but it, it put Aussie traders in a really interesting predicament, I think, because if you look at the Aussie pairs, the Aussie pairs are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Do we rally? Because, you know, China is looking a little bit better and all the stimulus and, you know, it, and and the, the Aussie economy is doing okay, is it? But then, you know, how about if we get some, and risk is going higher? However, how about if risk breaks down and do we sell Aussie dollars and do we get short? Maybe the RBA is done raising rates. Where does this leave the Aussie dollar in your view being a boots on the ground, hardcore Aussie RBA caller like you are, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, when the when when the Aussie fell on the right height, a lot of retail traders were sitting there going, what on earth is happening? This is this is not supposed to happen. But yeah, I mean, it was just the fact that it was in the price to an extent. I think a leveraged hedge fund community had had amassed quite a decent long position in the Aussie as well because of that those reasons, you know, technically it broken out and of that, that wedge. And I think people were expecting a little bit higher into 66 cents, obviously not the case. And, and the, the, the actual guidance in that last paragraph was tweaked. Just enough nuance there for people to say that is a dovish hike effectively. And I think that's where, given that the pricing, that we're pricing in you know, one and a half rate hikes, and that's where, you know, that's why the Aussie fell. But yeah, I think when if you're trading against the US dollar, which of course most people do, then yeah, you're just tracing a, 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 risk, a risk proxy. So if the S&P, you know, was to 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 go down. Um, you know, the Aussie's going to come down. Um, yeah, and I think that you know, if, if we were to see Chinese equity markets, you know, go a little bit lower, then I think it's just going to you know, find that correlation. Look at copper. Have a look at base metals. I think Aussie's found the strongest correlation right now with industrial metals. I think that's where it's taking its cues. Yeah, correlations come and go, Blake. You know that you've been trading a long, long time, and. You know, you've just got to think what, what what's making it sensitive. Right now, I think the, the strongest correlation with the Australian dollar is those industrial metals as opposed to the S&P futures, for example. So that's what I'm looking at as, as a driver of the Aussie. Okay. So, uh, I mean, as, as an Aussie, I, and I get it with the, the Aussie against the dollar, but how about Aussie against other currencies? I mean, are you general? You, you've been constructive on the Aussie for the last couple months, or I would say last four, six weeks. Are you still constructive on the Aussie from a I think there's, side? There's, a, there's an interesting one, right? Because if we go into the, the one and two year forward rates and see what's being priced in, um, you know, I just put out a tweet on this on, on what's being priced in. And, and there's really only two countries which are seeing aggressive rate hikes or not so aggressive but like rate hikes over the next 12 months. And that's Australia and Japan. Everywhere else is expecting big cuts. Now, that that in one way would say that's that's quite supportive of the Australian dollar. But in the other hand, we're saying, well, if yeah, everyone else is cutting. Maybe the Australian yeah, will probably ease off at some stage. They're not saying that at the moment. I don't see any reason why they'd be doing that. Um, but yeah, maybe there's some downside risk to that. But yeah, if you want to play the, if you want to play a pure interest rate si cycle, um, you're doing it against the New Zealand dollar, and and that's come under a little bit of pressure over the last week or so. So yeah, you just got to just get back to, some, right? 
you just got to know how to trade the Aussie in terms of like using it as a vehicle to express the view. If you want to trade a risk on Fomatic, you do it against um, the US dollar, the yen to an extent. Um, if you want like risk on risk off Fomatics, you play it against the um, uh, sorry the the interest rates. You play it against the Kiwi, and if you want to play a lower VIX, for example, then you know you can do it against the Euro. That can be an interesting one as well. But uh, um, yeah, I still there are things that make me constructive on the Australian dollar. Um, but I think at the moment I'm taking more of a cautious uh, you know, approach in the short term here, given given how it's trading. Well, it sure has been uh, hard to short, and uh, you know, up until the RBA met, it was it was really holding up pretty well. So, yeah, well done, exactly. Chris. Anyway, let's go into that setup and see what some of the charts on mind. Yeah, I want to bring up crude to start with um, because it has been. Um, you know, catching a falling knife. I mean, it's broken level after level. We got through that 200 day yesterday, um, broke out the uh, sort of the the August swing low that we'd been seeing. Um, number of reasons here, obviously, that, that Middle East premium has come out of the market. People were saying that it could be some supply disruptions. There was a premium priced in, uh, notably around Saudi. I think that's that people are saying that, yeah, obviously, terrible humanitarian story we're seeing unfold every day but yeah this is not going to affect uh, crude supplies that's been that priced out the international uh, energy agency or sorry the EIA have come out with new forecast and, and you know, that's been impacting as well and we're coming up to a point where we're going to see a review of the Saudi and Russian oil um, output cuts as well and so people are looking at that as well as the technicals if you actually have a look at the curve uh, the first and eight months has now come back so sufficiently we're getting a we may even get an inverted or a contango curve as well and, and all those factors have uh, have seen sellers in the oil market coming through um now blake i'm not sure if you've, you've looked at the fundamentals but i know you look at the technicals are you a ra- are you a seller of rallies in crude here it's hard this is a hard this is a hard one um and i mean it's it's dropped further than i thought it dropped and now where it's at i think it could go even further i think it and and uh I'm not, I, I want to, um, oh, oh, I'm going to just say this. I'll, I'll just blurt it out really quick. I don't think what we've seen in the Middle East is quite over just yet. And I think it, you know, it's it's still going to, it has the, 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 the risk of intensifying a little bit and still dragging other nations in uh, to, to the, to this Israeli, you know, uh, conflict war, but uh, as a result, I still think that if it dips down towards seventy, I I, I might actually get my uh, get my uh, knife catching gloves out myself. I, I don't trade crude that often, but seventy like seventy and uh, seventy and a half right around there is a seventy eight percent fib retracement. And if you you know you look back, I mean based on your chart, you look back uh, over the course of two thousand twenty three, the lows of two thousand twenty three, you know dips below seventy, it gets bought. Isn't that yeah. where President Biden is buying crude too? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think so. I mean, refill the um, the uh, SPRs, the, SPRs, right? SPRs, right. I think the yeah, other thing. I mean, what, what, would, what would have come up on your radar in the in the last week though is the Canadian dollar and the Noki. You know, um, yeah, yeah the, the the Norwegian crown's been absolutely battered from pillar to post, and you know, people have just been using that as an expression. You know, obviously Brent prices are falling with WTI, and um, you know, in terms of trade matter there. So, you know, that they've been like the the whipping boys of, of G10FX, haven't they? So I'm sure you've, yeah, Euro Noki's come up closely on your radar, Swiss, uh, Swiss Noki, all these dollar Noki as well have come up there. So, you know, they've been um, they've been the sort of momentum plays the last week or so. Yeah, I remember like the the uh, setup from last week is the, the US dollar Norwegian Krona. I happen to have uh, Krona 
exposure right now as we speak. Yeah. So I, I, well, ask me when I get out, see how well I did, (laughs) but I have some exposure. Let's just put it that way. Uh, So I'm going to, I'm going to take you, I think this is a, I I know we didn't really talk about it, but I, I, again, I'm dip. We dip towards 70. I might stick my, my toe out, you know, see if the water's warm. All right, let's move into the Euro Aussie. This is my setup. And this is why I, Chris, I really wanted to have this Aussie conversation with you. Um, the the uh, Euro Aussie is in the apex, uh, if you will, of its of its triangle, and it's it's getting close to breaking out. Look at how it's oscillating on both sides of the fifty DMA. Um, the breakout points are pretty easy: one sixty four forty or one sixty four fifty to the downside. That's the breakdown point. The breakout point is one sixty eight one sixty eight fifty. It's 400 pips in the Euro Aussie. I, I hope most traders understand this, especially if you're new, you should understand this. This tends to be a, you know, might have an ATR of 180 pips. To move three, 400 pips in this pair is not hard to do. Anyway, breakout is looming. I think if you're trading risk on, you, you, you know, risk on, meaning you think stocks are going to go up, we're going to see a Santa Claus rally. You're looking to the short side. So maybe you're looking to sell into this resistance. The flip side is if you think that there's some risk aversion coming in, look at what's happened the last couple of days. That could just accentuate and see an upside breakout above 168.50. Chris, how are you seeing the Euro Aussie right now? I mean, I don't, I don't think I don't think either currency is liked in the market. So you're playing two currencies which are, don't really have a huge amount going for it in the short term. Uh, so I favor um, you know, playing that range at the moment, selling it, fading it into the top end. Just tactically, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, you can look at positioning, and I think the market's probably more short euros as well. So that, you know, that favours an upside break in from a positioning perspective. Um, but I think this, I think this trades the range, and I'll be looking to sell into strength and and, and looking to buy the weakness in, in in that, and obviously just trading that. But I think if you if you were to see a breakout, then that could be very powerful in it indeed. But yeah, I don't like either currency particularly that much at the moment. I think the market's saying the same thing, and I think therefore you you trade a range. Would you? Yeah, concur in that situation. You think that those two horizontal I, levels are going to hold? I do. I mean, it, and and I'm look. I'm kind of torn on which way I think the markets are going to go from here going into year end. So I think that the market, as you pointed out, is apex is tightening, and so as it tightens, you play that range, but you play inside of it, and you try to get out before a breakout. So this way you can capture as much of the range as possible yeah. as we contract. So well, I there's a reason why it's contracting because. You know, people are seeing the fundamentals and 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 saying, "Well, we're, yeah, there's a bit of a battle going on," but no one's pre- really prepared to make a stance, and that's because, you know, people are agreeing that they're both, <laughs> you know, currencies that are not particularly outshining one another. I mean, obviously, currency is a relative play, so yeah, that's what we could look at. Anyway, I want to show you one that is is looking a bit more uh, attractive at the moment um, from a pro- from a pure price perspective, and that is the crypto scene. Um, Obviously, Bitcoin is the, is, the, is the leader or the poster child in that one. Um, and we saw, obviously, a nice run up uh, through October in, in price. Obviously, everyone getting very excited about this SEC uh, announcement of a, of a spot ETF. Um, we had a bit of a pause, as you'd imagine, into 35,000. And, uh, you know, it looks like we want to break to the top side there as well for another leg up. I mean, this is one where, you know, the trend followers sit in and go, We've got the breakout. We don't know how long, how far this is going to go. We know that there is really no better than a, a vehicle for for you know for FOMO than crypto. Um, yeah, it feels like this is going up and it will just continue to go up. And we're already seeing that in some of the, the altcoins. They're having some some crazy moves. Um, what do you think, Blake? Would you would you be touching this one? Absolutely. 
Uh, above 36,400 and the next target is 42,000. And let me explain why. Long-term from the all-time high of Bitcoin to the low that we saw, I have to, um, let me see if I can get the number for you. The, the low that we saw, which happened to be November of 2022, the 38% retracement is the 36,000 to 300 level. All right, depending on how well you're drawing and what feed you're using. Uh, the 161% extension of that last dip that you see from basically uh, almost half of your screen to the current price, we are at the 161% extension. It's at 36,002 or 300. So a break above 36,500, you're talking, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it's 127% extension, excuse me. A, a move above 36,300, so I look for it to clear maybe 500. Your target would be 42,000, which is the 161% extension golden fib of this entire move, which comes in around 50% of the entire drop. So basically what I'm trying to say is I'm bullish. It looks yeah. bullish and it looks like it's going to break I out. Say, I don't think you can you can look at it and say that anything else other than it is bullish, to be honest. I mean, obviously people are, uh, there, there right. is a chance that we could get an SEC verdict. Um, I think there's 12 different issuers who are looking for the the spot or the cash spot ETF coming through. It could happen in a, in a matter of days. I know that I think the sort of the deadline, the max deadline is January. Um, but there's a there's a small window at the moment where we could get the one through, and I think the market is saying we don't want to be caught behind that. But I mean, you don't need to be an, a necessarily a technician to to look at that chart and say, yeah, where are the odds skewed? And of course, that's all we work with as, as technicians is is the probability and and the distribution of, of odds. I mean, I don't see how you can look at it any other way and say that, that the odds are skewed to a bullish chart really in, in that situation. I had a good friend of mine uh, today that I that I talked to about the markets. He also mentioned that, that there was, and I have to read the article. There was like seven hundred thousand new crypto applications in one day. Like <laughs> it's like uh, I have to go back and read it. So don't quote me on that. But it's uh, I haven't read it yet. But it, I was like, wow, that's a lot of people betting on crypto right you now. You can do so. things like just go and have a look at like Google. Google searches and type in Bitcoin or crypto, and that will tell yeah. you when it's starting to get starting to get hot. A little a bit of anecdotes around that I think is is good. But you know when 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 yeah. everyone starts piling in because we go back to our friend expected returns, right? There, you know, a lot of people through COVID changed the way that they thought about expected returns. Meme stocks could give you two hundred percent in a week, you know, and and people don't want five ten percent in a month they want two hundred percent so you know if this if this starts roaring up and kicking in you know we've seen that in the altcoins you know soul and a couple of number of people people just chase it because they they want the big returns and and crypto obviously offers that in, in spades there it's bigger than sports books guys i'm telling you bigger than a parlay all right sorry i, I digress let's uh let's move along to our last setup which would be this is a, a viewer question from Danny Boy. He he basically was hello, asking Danny about boy. Santa. Hello, Danny Boy. Uh, he's asking about a Santa Claus rally and the H uh, the HK fifty, which didn't look as good as the Nikkei two twenty five. He asked about maybe a Santa Claus rally in either one. I, I'm just going to say this: that's a bull flag pattern. We held the breakout point, which was big. And uh, remember, Warren Buffett's and 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 his you know, army of investors are behind the Nikkei right now. And given the fact that we could not break down the summer when we or uh, I'm sorry, in September, when we tried to dip below that uh, 31,000, basically just leaves us open 
for a rally to the 161% extension, which is 34,610. And then all of the investors from 1985 in the Nikkei 225 will be made whole by then. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. sorry. I don't, I'm sorry if you're invested in the Nikkei and since 1980s and that's happened to you. But uh, what I'm saying is it still looks bullish here. And I think if a Santa Claus rally does unfold, a, a, a rally above the 33,000 level would target 34,600 in my calculations. What do you think about the Nikkei 225 going into a Santa Claus rally? Because you believe in Santa, Chris. At least your kids do. So let's keep it that way. That's all right, mate. Um, yeah, look, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing we need to remember with the, with the, with the Nikkei and, and topics and all these markets is they are priced in the end. So if you are going to... Um, you know, to get that move up, then you really want the carry trade to come on quite well, and that's going to keep keep the the yen weakening, and that's where you're going to get the breakout. So you're almost taking a view on the yen. I know we don't talk necessarily about exporters and and, and importers and, and the impact there, but let, yeah, I mean you've got a market that is priced in yen. So if the yen's weakening up, you always want to buy something in theory, an asset which in a currency which is perceived to be the weakest currency, and you're going to get double bubble. So the fact that we've got uh, yeah, if you think the yen's going to continue weakening off from that, you know. Dollar yens depends where you live. Aussie yen moves higher. If you live in Australia, dollar yen moves nicely above 151 for you. Um, then, then the Nikkei is going to do well. But there's a lot going right in Japan at the moment in terms of the uh, they've got easy monetary policy, which is obviously good for the equity market. You've got um, you know, a central bank that's keeping JGBs um, fairly well contained. Not great for the banks, but for most of the other parts of the market. You've got wages which are increasing quite sharply. Yeah, economics, tourism's back in Japan in a massive way. Um, Pre-COVID levels there. So, I mean, fundamentally, you like the market, you just need a weaker yen. I think that's uh, that's that's yeah. what pushes up there. Um, anyway, I think yeah, the, if you get the technical break, all those factors that I just talked about get aggregated in the price, and you'll be able to see it for yourself. So, don't make it too hard on yourself. Wait for the break and, and trade the break. I think most the thing. Anyway, let's go to play of the day. Let's see what's uh, front of mind. Uh, I'm going to jazz it up. Uh, long Nasdaq short Russell two thousand. You know, I, mean, I do. Yeah, look, I think one of the things is that, yeah, the, the, the Nasdaq is up nine days in a row and it's hot. It's a super hot market at the moment. Um, and yeah, it might take a breather. You might say some people taking profits from that situation. At some stage, probability suggests that's going to happen. Um, but I think that this ratio is working well, really, really well. Um, for whatever reason, um, people, are, I think people will chase. If they are going to chase, they're going to chase NASDAQ. They're going to chase those mega cap stocks, those that, that magnificent seven. Uh, obviously, that's going to impact the NASDAQ. The banks at the moment, the KRE, the re regional banks are, are trading fairly poorly. I don't like the price action I'm seeing in the regional banks. And if you look at US 2000, it's much more inward uh, in the US. It's yeah, much more facing. Um, it, it derives a lot more of its earnings from, from the US economy, which is OK. Um, but I think we're going to see a much slower Q4. Um, and the banks, uh, you know, it's a very heavy weighted market towards the banks, um, whereas obviously the Nasdaq isn't. So fundamentally, I like it. Technically, yeah, I mean, obviously, you can see that ratio is trending down um, and yeah, it doesn't really move up too much. So you've got a, a natural stop loss in the trade there. So, yeah, I think this continues to make uh, gravitate lower. And I think the Nasdaq into year end continues to outperform. So I think this is, uh, you know, so I like yeah, looking at short positions in, in the S&P tying it off with the notional exposure the same uh, by being along the NASDAQ. You know, it's interesting, Chris, You, I think you've used this chart or this setup as a setup or play of the day multiple times over the last just, couple I, months. I, I would have just done and, better and just it holding well. it. <laughs> I've been trading it. No, but it's, it, 
Yeah, I mean, it works well. I mean, the trend's there. I mean, and, you know, I, I think it still looks great. I mean, and, and you can make the case for for it still. I'll tell you a cheeky thing, which I'm not supposed to say because I work at a broker, but um, if you go short the S&P, uh, US, US 2000 and you go long, you effectively net off the swaps or you, you reduce your swaps. So if you're holding those positions for a longer period, because you're going to get paid on the short position, uh, you're going to get charged on the long position. So effectively, you know, if you want to hold those positions for a long period of time, it's a low beta strategy, but you're also reducing your overnight funding costs as well. Ooh, that's good. Then you can go more long Bitcoin. Did I just spit that one out? That one just it just jumped out of me. I don't know where it came from. All right, let's move on to my play of the day. And that's going to be the Euro Yen. And uh, the Euro Yen, I'm mining, 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 excuse me, for golden fibs. Now, if you know me pretty well, you know that I love the golden ratio of the 161% extension. Universally, when we get there, I'm always looking the other direction. Doesn't mean I'll take advantage of it but I look for it. And the Euro Yen, no exception. We're about ready to rally into channel resistance. You can see the very divergent RSI. Now you could argue, Blake, if we continue to rally and we continue to push higher in price, that RSI is going to go higher and overbought. Yes, but it'll still be divergent. Unless we go up like literally 2000 pips from here, we're probably going to stay divergent on the daily RSI. So I'm um, just I, sh I just drew that red line there for illustration purposes. Anyway, if the Euro Yen gets to 163.50, 163.66 is the RSI, or excuse me, the 161% extension, I am looking to dip my toe in counter trend because I do believe in the Japanese economy. I do believe in, you know, in, 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 in the fact that the BOJ is going to start to normalize its policy sooner and I do believe that the Eurozone is going to struggle in the, in the months ahead. So I think the Euro Yen is prime for a, a reversal if we see it. And I'm going to just look to be like maybe a quarter of my normal size to look to short as we reach those levels. I'm not short the Euro Yen, but I am actively looking to stick my toe in the, and, and stand in front of this uh, train, as they say. So <laughs> there it is. There it is, mate. Well done. Good stuff. Anyway, thank you everyone Thanks. for joining us uh, this week on the trade-off. If you want to leave any comments down below, we'd like to, to, to hear what you're saying and we'll try and reply to them where we can. Uh, give us a like if you can. We appreciate that. And obviously, we'll see you back next week for more of the trade-off.